0: Well, in our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, we have been saying time and again that the theme of this book is, even if in the quest for significance we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, we would never find our meaning here, for our maker is Our meaning. This theme and this message of meaning and of fulfillment and of significance is one that Solomon is in a a frantic pursuit of. He could not have sung the song that was just sung. He was not saying, I shall not want. Solomon was a wanting man. Solomon was a man who, as we have heard, had everything and yet found that it was all chasing after the wind, meaningless, meaningless, all was meaningless. And as we unpack this book, this this afternoon, we we take a bit of an unexpected turn uh, in the direction of this series. We have seen how Solomon Uh, warns us that the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of material treasures under the sun without God in the picture and at the center of it all is vanity. But I'm guessing you would have guessed those. I'm guessing that that would have been predictable, of course. Isn't that what religion does? It says, watch out for pleasure. Watch out for treasure. You know, that's, that's pretty typical religious and churchy stuff right there. Fits nicely into our preconceived ideas of God and church and religion. You know, God doesn't want us to have any fun. Stay away from the good times. God is a cosmic party pooper. God is a cosmic killjoy. Let's, let's be morbid. Let's be serious. Let's be holy. And, and, and then everything will be okay. But here's the curveball. That Solomon is going to throw in our direction today. He proceeds to tell us that religion and morality are meaningless too. He proceeds to tell us that religion and morality are vanity. One of you actually anticipated this with a question that was asked Uh, a few weeks ago that we didn't get a chance to to answer. Somebody asked the question, couldn't church and religion also be considered under the sun? It's brilliant. Touche, whoever asked the question. Good question. Someone else asked, well, if this is true, then doesn't that make giving vanity? Because that's under the sun too, isn't it? And you know what? The answer to both questions is yes. Under the sun, righteous religious commitments and under the sun righteous causes are meaningless. They are empty. They are vanity. You cannot find meaning by being religious. Vague spirituality, mere religiosity, will not make you happy. Even if, in our quest for significance, we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, including religion and righteous causes, we would never find our meaning here. For our Maker is our meaning. In fact, friends... If we do the religion thing, and if we do the morality thing, something often happens. What I'll call religioso rigor mortis. Religious rigor mortis sets in. When you do the religion thing, when you do the morality thing, especially as you get really serious about those things, they have a way of, of turning your heart Dead. They leave you cold, they stiffen you up in spirit and in soul. They make you rigid, and they do not bring you joy. Religion, religious practices, righteous behavior, just causes. Let me start this over and make sure you're listening on this. Religious practice, righteous behavior, and just causes all have meaning but only only if they relate to our creator god who is above the sun they all have meaning but only if they relate to our Creator God who is above the Son. Unless our religious practice, our righteous behavior, our righteous causes are connected to a relationship with God and a holy reverence for God, they will be meaningless. The author of Ecclesiastes shows this to us by reminding us of three things. Here are the three points today. The futility of religious commitments... The futility of rigorous morality and the futility of righteous causes. So let's let's see this from the book. First of all, the futility of religious commitments. This is what was just found in the text that our brother just read. This text tells us, guard your steps, chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Be careful when you engage in church. Be careful when you go to church, be careful when you draw near. And he goes on to say, let your words be few. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is what? Vanity. It's not about religious words. Specifically, he's talking about vows, religious commitments, promises that we make in the presence of God. He warns us that these things are vanity. When you make promises before God, it is empty, it is meaningless, unless you keep them perfectly. How many of you have made promises to God that you have not kept? This is worse than vanity. This is dangerous. You know, there's got to be something a little scary about lying to God. There's got to be something we need to worry about, about lying to God. It can't be good when we break a promise made to God. And yet every single one of us has done it. Time and again and again and again. Again. Solomon says this is vanity, the futility of religious commitments. It's futile because we either become unable or unwilling to fulfill the commitments that we have made. So there's that, futility of religious commitments. Secondly, the author reminds us of the futility of rigorous morality. The futility of rigorous Morality. Look at chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 15. The author says, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise, why should you destroy yourself? I bet you never thought you'd find that verse in the Bible. Do not make yourself overly righteous. What in the world is he talking about? Well, remember, he's talking about life under the sun, right? Right? Remember, that's the point. He's looking at life from the perspective that there is no God above the sun. At least no God who really cares or is involved. He's just out there if he's there at all. So life is right here. And Solomon says, what is the point of becoming overly righteous if there's nothing above the sun? It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. You know, he, he's, he's right. It's... it's it's futile, if there is no one above the sun, it's futile to try to be good. What's the point? What do, we, what do we have? Why? Why try? If there is no God. Besides, have you ever tried to be good? We've talked about it before, but it's hard. It's really hard. The harder you try, the harder it feels. And in fact, you you can never really get there from here. You You can't get to state of goodness. That's actually what it says if you look at verse 20 of chapter 7. Notice what he adds there. Chapter 7, verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. He is saying, look, there isn't a perfect man. There's not a perfect woman alive. Every one of us has sinned. Every one has fallen short of the mark. We try to be good, but we end up not being good. In fact... Every one of us has sinned this morning. Every one of us has sinned multiple times this morning, either in thought or in word or in action. Try to do everything right. Try to always be right. You're always going to come up short. You're never, ever going to achieve goodness. You're never, ever going to achieve even remote, something even remotely close to perfection. Our friend Jim Donahue loves to ask the question, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? That question will haunt you. If you have any kind of serious conscience, how good is good enough? Every person who's tried to be a better person, how, how good is good enough? Let me give you a pop quiz this morning. Some of you have taken this quiz before, but take it again. Here's the quiz. We're going to run through a few of the Ten Commandments, all right? And we're just going to see how good you are. all right? Jim would have a, what do you call it, a good old meter I think. He'd have, you know, just, how good are you? How good are you? So, you know, you understand when it comes to the commandments that it's not just about external obedience. <laughs> you know, Goodness is not measured just by doing good things. It's by being good. Being good on the inside. You know, so, for example, thou shalt not murder. It's not enough just to keep your hand from killing somebody. You need to keep your heart from hating somebody. You understand that? And even a step further, you have to have your heart completely love everybody. That, that's really what it means, don't commit murder. Actively love other human beings who are made in the image of God and fight for and preserve and, and dignify their life no matter what. That's what it means. So, you know, goodness is not a matter of what you do so much as what you are on the inside. What you are on the inside will manifest itself on the outside. So let's, let's go with that. Here's the quiz. quiz question number one. Or command number one question, um, you shall have no other gods before me. What does does that mean? What's the inside meaning of that? The inside meaning of that is you shall love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And don't share that love with any other gods. No no other person, no other thing in your life. I must be first. How are you doing on that one? As your report card looking, come. All right. Or how about how about? Uh, let's go with you. Sh- you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That means God has a name, and that name is always to be reverenced. It's never to be used. Never to be spoken carelessly, irreverently. Certainly, never to be included in a oath or a curse, but it's never even to be spoken carelessly, for it is the name of God. So, how are you doing with that one? Are you reverencing the name of God? All right, How good are you? Are you good enough? How about um, honor your father and mother? We have a room full of human beings who have Treated their mom and dad perfectly. Every one of you, right? Perfectly. Always respected. Always honored. Always obeyed. Always esteemed. Always put them first. Always spoke positive. Not a single one of us. Not a single one of us. Honor father and mother. Hold them up. Lift them up. Esteem them. How about don't steal? What's the inside meaning of Don't steal. The inside meaning is give. Remember Paul in Ephesians, let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather work with his hands so that he may have to give to those that have need. The inside meaning, the real heart meaning of don't steal is be a radically generous person. Give, 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 give. How are you doing with that one? go on, right? Let's do one more. Let's do two more. Um, You shall not commit adultery. What's adultery? Well, God's law for sex is chastity before marriage and fidelity after. That's God's law. Chastity before, fidelity after. And Jesus says... It's not just with the body that you need to be chased. It's with the mind. If a man looks on a woman in lust after her, he has committed adultery in his heart. So, men and women, a room full of adulterers. It's the hard truth, isn't it? It's the hard truth. You shall not covet. What does that mean? It's the heart meaning, the inside meaning of that. It's not just don't want what others have. It means be content with what you have. How are you doing with that one, Mr. and Mrs. American? Scary, isn't it? Scary. Talk about futility. If if the commands need to be obeyed, not just externally, but internally, what hope is there? There's not a righteous man or woman among us. There is no one good, not even one, says the Apostle Paul. Not even one. So here's a question for you. I need, I need, to, I need to ask this. What are you going to do with your guilt? I'm not talking about guilty feelings. I'm talking about guilt. I'm talking about real objective guilt. You and I are guilty. I'm not talking about feeling guilty. We sometimes do, we sometimes don't. We always are guilty. We are violators of the law of God. We have broken it over and over again. What are you doing with your guilt? Where is their forgiveness? Do you want forgiveness? Uh, this is allowing the one who the New Testament calls greater than Solomon, Jesus. We're going to allow him to step into this conversation right now. Jesus is the one who came and kept the law perfectly. Jesus is the one who came and never did anything wrong. Jesus is the one who came and fulfilled all righteousness. And then Jesus is the one who died as an atonement for our sin to take away our guilt that we might be forgiven of our many sins. And the promise of God is that if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus alone, we will be forgiven. We are guilty, but we will be treated as forgiven. We will be treated as... As if we are perfect. This is the gospel. Don't leave here this morning carrying real guilt on your shoulders. Don't, don't, don't leave here. Carrying real guilt in your conscience. Don't leave here knowing I'm a lawbreaker. I violated God's law. Uh, Don't leave here without knowing the reality of forgiveness. You can trust in Jesus Christ right here, right now, right where you're sitting. You can pray and say, Jesus, save me. I'm guilty. I know it. I know you died for me. Rescue me. Say it in your heart. Pray it in your heart. Trust in Jesus as your Savior right where you are right now. And you'll walk out, if you mean it, if you're sincere, you will walk out a forgiven man or woman. You will walk out fully accepted by God, whose law you've disobeyed every day of your life. Oh, there's the gospel. That's, that's the Christian faith right there. And it's offered to everyone. Just Receive it. Receive it. Without that, it's all futility, isn't it? It's all futility. I mean, The, the futility of religious commitments, the, the futility of rigorous morality, we can't, we can't get there from here. Remember a Zeno's conundrum? Remember I talked to you about Zeno who wants to get from point A to point B, but before he gets to point B, he has to go halfway? And then before he gets... From the halfway point all the way, he has to go halfway, and then it's halfway, and then it's halfway, and never gets there because it's always another halfway to go. Trying to get to heaven with our own rigorous morality, our own righteousness is like being Zeno. In, you know, can never get there. Just never get there. Jesus can get you there. He'll pick you up and carry you there. He'll pick you up and carry you there, if you will but trust. In him, there is futility in religious commitments. There is futility in rigorous morality. And third and quickly, there is futility in righteous causes. Righteous causes. Ecclesiastes makes it clear that a pursuit of righteousness and justice on earth is a vain pursuit. This is hard to swallow. Seeking under the sun social justice without having God in the picture is vanity, is futility, the writer says. For, for two reasons. One, because there is no hope for justice if there is no God. If there is no God who rules over it all as a just judge, if there is no God who will one day make it all right and right all wrongs, and, and, and just make everything come out fair as we think it should be. If there is no God to do it, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to get done. There is no justice if God is not there. You know it. You see it. Our world is full of it. And, and Ecclesiastes just speaks to this time and again. Just... Just look at chapter 3, I'm just going to read a couple of texts real quick here. Chapter 3 and verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, that is, in the courtroom, in the courtroom, in the place of justice, in the place where justice is supposed to happen, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. The place where justice is supposed to happen in human courtrooms doesn't happen. Chapter 4, verse 1, Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Our world is full of the oppressed, the unjustly treated. And this side of heaven, under heaven, under the sun, Millions upon millions, if not billions of them die without ever having justice. He goes on in chapter 5 and verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. Don't be amazed at it. Don't be shocked by it. We, do. we are sometimes. Don't we? we see injustice happen. We say, how can that happen? So their author says, don't be amazed by it. It's what happens in a broken, corrupt world. And if there is no God, there's no hope that justice is ever going to happen. If there's no one above the sun, it's futility. If you, if you want fair... Be prepared for futility. If you're looking for justice under the sun, a world in which the righteous get what they deserve and the evil get what they deserve under the sun, be prepared for major disappointment. There is no meaning in pursuing social justice, human justice under the sun, because there's no hope for it under the sun. And let me just add this quick. If there is no God above the sun, then there is no such thing as justice. Uh, You've got to follow me here. You see, if there is no God, there's no such thing as right and wrong. If there is no lawgiver who says this is right and this is wrong, And the wrong should be punished in this way and the right rewarded in that way. If there is no God who establishes right and wrong and justice, then there is no right and wrong or justice. Because it comes down to what? You know? You tell me to do something, what am I going to say to you? Who says? Says who? You don't have any right to tell me how to live. What's your authority? You... You say, oh, what you just did is wrong. And I say, well, who says? If there is no God, I can do whatever I want. That's, that's the problem that secularists and atheists have to battle with. It's terrifying. To deny the existence of God is to deny the existence of right and wrong. And it's everything's up for grabs. And it's do whatever you want. And whoever has the strongest preference and the most power will get their way. If there is no God above the sun, there is no justice. You need to understand that if you're flirting with or committed to atheism and secularism, you can no longer say anything is right or wrong. Our world is really confused at this point. We live in a world of culture. You see the elitist of the media, the elitist of Hollywood and other places, who with one breath are saying there is no absolute right or wrong, and then they turn right around and say you are wrong for mistreating the baby seals. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. I'm sorry, Mr. Elitist. You can't do that. You might say, I prefer you don't hurt the baby seals, but you can't say it's wrong. Only God has the authority to say what's right and wrong. Only God is a lawgiver. Only God is the judge. You see, if there is no God above the sun, then there is no justice to hope for. There's no right or wrong to fight for. Now, am I saying, Don't fight for justice. Don't care about these things. No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, let me be clear here because there's been some confusion on this and understandable confusion because I've intentionally not explained it all to you. When Ecclesiastes has told us not to look for our happiness in knowledge and wisdom, it's not telling us don't look for knowledge and wisdom when it tells us not to look for our happiness and physical pleasure, it's not telling us don't enjoy physical pleasures. And when it tells us don't look for your happiness in material treasures, it's not saying don't look for material treasures. And when it says don't look for your happiness in under the sun religious practice or righteous rigorous morality or in righteous causes, it's not saying religion is bad or righteousness is bad or righteous causes are meaningless. It's just saying don't look for your happiness there. Find your meaning and your happiness in God. And then, knowing God, you can pursue and enjoy and commit yourself to these other things in a way that will bring you joy. But you get it upside down and meaning and value will elude you all the rest of your life. So, we should be committed to religious practices. You say, oh, I thought, I've heard that Christianity is not a religion. Ah, it is. What's a religion? Well, it's religious observance, prayer, and fasting, and worship, and meditation, and reflection. The Bible tells us to do those things, so there's, It is a religion, but here it's not just a religion, it's a relationship. It is more than a religion. It is a relationship with God. It is a knowledge of God. It is a fear and a love of God. It is knowing who God is, knowing that God has sent His Son to die for your sins, knowing that God has set you free from hell and death, knowing that God is taking you to heaven, knowing that God is your Father, knowing that God is yours, then... Devoting yourself to Him and devoting yourself to be a godly and righteous person and devoting yourself to righteous causes. Should we be concerned about justice on planet Earth? Yes, we should. Why? Well, because God is concerned about justice on planet Earth. We should be concerned about the poor because God loves the poor. We should be concerned about justice because God is just. We should be concerned about life from the womb to the tomb. Why? Because God is life. And He's the life giver. We should be concerned about telling the truth. Why? Because God is truth. We should be concerned about holiness because God is holy. We should be concerned about purity because God is pure. We should be concerned about health care because God's a healer. These things should matter to us because they matter to God. But you need to know God first. And then from that flows a life of righteousness, of goodness, of obedience, and of the pursuit of justice in behalf of those who are not receiving it. This is the message of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, religious practice, righteous behavior, righteous causes are meaningless. But once you've looked above the sun... God infuses meaning into all of it and life begins to be worth living after all. And then we can start singing I shall not want. I shall not want. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, oh, so much here to think about, so much here to reflect on. I pray that you would Help us to think deeply and spiritually and with your Holy Spirit's help. Write these things on our heart. Lord, help us to realize that even the good things we're trying to do, if they are not done out of a love for you and a reverence for you, then they're not really good. They're meaningless. They're pointless in the end. Oh, Lord, give us, give us discernment. Give us faith. Give us understanding. Give us true wisdom that begins with fearing and knowing you. Give us truth, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We're going to have a time of Q&A now as a follow-up to the message. Uh, as a reminder uh, we won't be able to get to every question we'll try to do the best we can uh, we'll post additional uh, answers on facebook and then feel free to follow up if we don't get to your question in those um, in those ways uh, and as a as another point um, if you are not a texter we do have index cards in index cards in the pew so feel free to grab an index card write a question and you can pass it to one of the ushers and we can try to get questions that way uh, first can you give a specific example in our church of a meaningless practice that does not relate to our Creator? This question makes sense.
0: Is there a practice in our church that is meaningless? Can you ask it again, please? Yeah.
1: Can you give a specific example in today's church of a meaningless practice that does not relate to our Creator?
0: Oh, in today's church? Are we, are we asking about broader than Risen Hope, I guess? Um, oh, my. Uh, two different ways I could go in responding to that. Let me, let me start with the heart issue in it. Often what makes practices meaningless is that the heart is not engaged in them. Um, It's not the practice itself that is meaningless. It's how we do it. Remember Jesus talked in Matthew 6 about uh, when you pray, go into a quiet place. Or when you give alms, do it secretly. Uh, Don't do it to be seen. Don't do it to be heard. Remember he said, don't don't pray many words, repetitious words. Words. He's not saying don't pray long prayers. He's talking about long, meaning, uh, mindless prayers, unthinking prayers, insincere prayers. And in that regard, friends, everything done in every church can be meaningless. Depending on where your heart is. Jesus talks about those who drew near him with their mouth, but their hearts were far from him. You know, that's, that's, it's sobering. I mean, uh, this, this could, depending on where my heart is, this, this could be a meaningless sermon I just delivered. God in his astonishing power and grace could use it, even though for me personally, it could have been nothing more than an act of sin. If motivated by pride, if motivated by a love of people's approval, if motivated by a hunger for popularity, it's meaningless in terms of spiritual value between me and God. So everything, every practice can be meaningless if your heart is not in it. Um, Now there are churches all over the place who are adding to church life Things that are not found in God's Word. One of the things we try here is to make sure that whatever we include in our worship has some kind of basis in God's Word. So, prayer and communion and fellowship and baptism and singing and fellowship and greeting one another. You know, there's a biblical basis for all of those things. However, again, if we don't do them with a sincere heart, then they're meaningless. And a bunch, we can. And I know, I mean, I I battle it every week when I sing in church. Every week, every week, there's at least some songs where my brain is checked out. Every week. I go, get back, focus, focus, focus. You're singing to God. Let your words be few. Either stop singing or or get your heart into it. You know, every, I don't know about you, but that's me. That's me. Um, uh, even the best things we do become
1: meaningless if done for the wrong reasons. Very good. Next question. How would we respond to an atheist who believes that life under the sun is all there is, but has decided to be good and leave it all behind to others after they die?
0: So here we're talking about someone who doesn't um, believe in God, doesn't think there's anything after this life, uh, but chooses to be good, and 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 to give from him whatever he has, give to others. Um, it's, it's it's a interesting. It's it's a really good question um, that reflects a need for some. Um, Careful, careful thinking here. Um, it, is, it is better to be an unbeliever who is generous than an unbeliever who is stingy. It's better to be generous than to be stingy. But if we are thinking about goodness that is going to be pleasing to God... Goodness that is going to count in any way with God. It's not enough just that we give. Goodness in the Bible is is measured by uh, two or three things. The actual act itself, is it a good thing to do? And then the motivation for the act. Why am I doing it? You know, walk into a hospital, you'll find a wall somewhere where all the major donors have plaques up on the wall. I, I've often thought about it, you know, for many that's, that's the end of their reward. That's, that's all they're getting for their goodness. Or many did it just to get their name there. And that's not really goodness. It's, it's nice that they gave away their stuff. But God looks down and say, I, I, I'm not concerned just with external goodness. It's got to be good in the heart as well. You've got to be doing it for my glory. Everything we are to do as human beings is for the glory of God. And if we're not doing it for the glory of God, to honor Him and reverence Him and glorify Him, then we're doing it for some other motive and that other motive is less than good. Uh, and so it can be a... A bad good deed. Um, you know, Good thing to do, but because not done from the right heart doesn't really account for anything in the presence of God. Which is why at the end of the day, Paul says, there is no one good, not even one. That's what he's talking about. People do good things, but unless they do it for the glory of God, then ultimately it's not good
1: at all. That's helpful. Uh, We could probably do one, maybe two more. Uh, What what about Catholicism and Judaism? These are examples of other religions. Uh, What would we have to say about that?
0: Well, I think that the, you know, People will often say that all religions are, are are basically the same. You've heard that, I'm sure, many times. And what they uh, what they must mean by that is that if you if you look at the basic moral code that each religion expresses, they're pretty similar. You know, they they're basically basically the same. Um, where Christianity is different from other faiths. Indeed, from all other faiths is at this point. We're all called to be good, and and every person on the planet has a conscience that tells them to be good. And so every, every religion tells them to be good. Here's what's different about the gospel. See, all the religions of the earth say, be good in order to Merit your salvation with God. Be good in order to go to heaven. Be good in order to earn God's favor and God's grace. What we realize, and this comes out of what I said earlier, that is an exercise of futility. Because I can't be good enough to pass the test of a perfect God. You know, I... I look good if I compare myself to Adolf Hitler, I come out looking pretty good, um, but compare me to, I don't know, Billy Graham or who, you know, um, maybe not so much, you know. You know, we, 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 we like to do that. We like to compare ourselves to people that are worse than us, It makes us feel better about ourselves. But at the end of the day, the standard is God himself. Be perfect, even as I am perfect. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord your God. And there's not a person in this Ruth, not a person in this, on this planet, not a person in history other than Jesus, who has got that perfectly right. There's only one person, if I can put it this way, who has earned his way into heaven. It's Jesus. All the rest of us have to get in through him, in him, by faith in him, in the one who is perfectly righteous, whose righteousness can be counted as ours so that we can get into heaven. There, are, there is only one way to heaven, and it's through the good works of Jesus Christ. And to the degree that anybody in any religion is trusting anyone other than the good work and works of Jesus Christ, to that degree they are not, well, they're still, they're still not on the way that leads to life. Um, so there's many things that could be said. All religions are similar in what they call for by way of good works. What distinguishes biblical Christianity is that those good works do not earn our way into heaven. Christ earns our way into heaven. And we now, out of love to Christ, out of desire to honor Christ and please Christ, we live good lives uh, for his glory and for his honor.
1: Very good. Uh, Just a few uh, closing thoughts here. The answer to that futility of religion morality and good causes is that grace of Jesus Christ. So it's not ultimate meaning in religion. We find relationship with God by grace. It's not morality, but the perfect moral record of Christ given to us by grace. And it's not righteous causes ultimately, but good works that God has prepared for us in advance by grace. Let me close with these couple verses from Ephesians Mm. chapter 2. Verse 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Mm. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So live in that grace of God, church, and walk in those good works that he has prepared in advance for us.
0: Let's let's close in in prayer. Father, if if there's anyone here, Lord, who has not yet trusted in Christ, please, Lord, stir them right here, right now to talk to somebody, to get answers, to to make sure, Father, that uh, uh, today is the day of their salvation. Uh, For those who already know Christ, Lord, help us to to walk in good works, to please you, to honor you. For those that are in unbelief, who are just denying that God is, Lord, please guide them uh, to places and people that can help them work through the questions and the issues and, Father, lead them, not to blind faith, but to real faith and biblical faith and reasoned faith. Lord, just show your mercy to us all and go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.